I want to jump in and I, I really want to just get started here because quite honestly, last week's passage for me was boring. Like this, God, why is this in the Bible? I don't really know. So we, we preached through it. It was good. It was great. But now we get to the part in the book of Acts. We've been walking through the book of Acts uh, for a few months now, but we get to the part in the book of Acts that I've just been waiting for. I've been so excited for it. In fact, when we're in this section right now, this is where everything exploded. This is when things started really taking shape for the, for the early church. And I want to recall a verse that kind of summarizes all of the book of Acts. And it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the summary verse that we went through a while ago that summarizes the whole book of Acts. And here's um, Acts chapter 1, 8. reads this way. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the cliff note version of the entire book of Acts. The church will grow. It's going to go through you, humanity. But it's going to grow not because you're just that talented or awesome or beautiful. It's going to grow because I'm going to unleash my Holy Spirit on humans as we take this gospel message from this one little isolated spot to Jerusalem, from beyond Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and yes, even into Greeley. Like this is where it began and as we're looking at this portion of scripture, that's why I'm so excited to be in here. So open your book, your, your Bible to Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. If you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible on the floor next to you, near you, and there's a cart of Bibles in the very back. We're kind of moving to an NIV version of teaching now, so if anyone wants to buy a hundred Bibles for us to hand out, then that would be great. See Jeremy afterwards. But I'm going to read through, through the NIV of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So if you were here last week, and and I joke, it was a good passage last week. But Stephen just went on a 50-verse rampage of how he was standing in front of the, leading, the leaders of the church of that time, and he was giving an account, and he very much went right at him, saying, the reason Jesus died is because of you. You guys have done this. And, and he stood up and began to lovingly, but yet very pointed, talk to them about how it was up to them, and what they had done resulted in Jesus being crucified on the cross, to the point where Stephen even got so bold that they took him out and last week they stoned him to death. But they bent rules, the rules that they had made in order to be able to do this. So we get to verse 8, we, or chapter 8, verse 1. Saul, we just heard about at the end of chapter 7 in one verse, we begin to be introduced to this man that's a little unfair if you know about the Bible because this, this guy Saul ends up um, later on, writing most of the Bible. And so how do you get from what we're reading about now to that man? So just forget that he wrote half the Bible. And just let's take Saul for who he is right now. He's a bad guy, okay? So in these verses, try to ignore that. But I want to, I in verse 1, read through this again. And on that day, the day that what happened? Stephen died. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Persecution was the only way to get the church up and out. It was the only way that it was going to happen. Because to this point, Jerusalem, it was a nice, cute little place. Everything was going okay until what happened? The only reason this message exploded was because of a martyr. Only because Stephen stood up and boldly said, this is the truth. And he spoke it. And he spoke it directly. And he followed what God had for his life. And he ended up giving his life for this message. And because of that very thing, the church woke up. Watch out. Watch out when the church wakes up. We talked about last week how, how Stephen, who was our first martyr in this whole thing of Christendom, was no different than you or me. I mean, had bad hair days. Sorry, Stephanie, he had bad hair days. He was no different. He was just being led by the Holy Spirit. And when he lived his life according to the Holy Spirit, great things happen. And I believe we're sitting here today because Stephen was led by the Holy Spirit, among many other reasons we're standing here today. But watch out when the church wakes up. Today we run the same risk, though, church, the risk of just staying in Jerusalem, the risk of just being okay with the way it is today, the risk of just doing what we've always done, the risk of getting into the the pattern of waking up and having our coffee with two creams and one sugar and opening up our Bible and reading the, you know, how we continue to read through it. And the risk of just opening up your version and, and reading a devotion for the day or your Oswald Chambers. I love Oswald Chambers, though. It's really good. The risk of what I'm over exaggerating the risk that we run, because even in our good habits and in our good things of chasing after God, we can get so in a pattern that with the life has has sucked out of us. We're just walking through the motions because we think we're supposed to walk through the motions. And believe me, there's been times in my life that I've had to walk through the motions because I didn't even feel like it. But I had to like I have. So I get that. But church, we run the same risk of staying in Jerusalem of not listening to what God has for our life, and not risking and not going for it. The thing that scares me the most, and the Bible talks about it quite often, is neutral water, just the warm, luke water. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just kind of there. Please, if you encounter me on a neutral water day, Jack, punch me in the face. Not too hard, Mr. CrossFit. Just a nice, nice little love tap. But when you encounter me in a neutral day, please speak life into me. Fan the flame into my life. That when we get into the conversations of, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine, fine, fine. Everything's fine. I'm okay. When we approach our Bible, it's fine, fine, fine. God saves. Yay. Church, watch out. Like what happened here, and we're going to see in the next two verses, what happened here was something great. This is at neutral, lukewarm water. Stephen believed it so much that he gave his life for it. What happens when, the fame, the, when we fan the flame in our own lives and the Spirit comes alive in us? Watch out. May we have the zeal and passion of God in all weather, in all water. May we be hot. May we be cold. May we be all in on this thing. May His kingdom be on the foremost of our tongues and hands. Amen?
yet. May the kingdom of God be right at the tip of our tongue, and may our hands be willing to go and be and do continually. I thank God for Stephen that he stood up and that he gave his life for this cause. We see here in verse 1 that Saul is arresting leaders, and he's arresting leaders of the movement. He's not arresting leaders that are just passive and sitting down and doing nothing. He's arresting leaders of this early thing that doesn't even have a name yet. It's just called the movement, the beginning of Christianity. Paul begins to arrest them because they're a movement. They're a, by the way, he's arresting men and women that are leading this whole thing. He's arresting the leaders because it's a movement. And yet sometimes we can show up in church and just think everything is okay being part of this, but our lives are not a movement. Like in our lives, are we part of the movement and do we have the zeal of God in us so much that Saul would come to our house and knock and arrest us because we look like somebody that's going to take this movement even further? Or are we just passive? I pray in our lives that, that the fire is flamed in us. And I'm going to continue to say that today because I think for some of us, myself included, church, we need to get up. We need to jump up and down. We need to act like we just won the Super Bowl. Like this is a big, big deal. Here's a fun fact that I, that I want to kind of throw out. Zoe says she likes it when I throw out fun facts, okay? So here's your fun fact, Zoe. You ready for this? Okay, verse 1 and verse 2, there's two words that are used, great and deeply. Do you see that? Great and deeply. And it says this, on that, on that day a great persecution broke out. So there's that word. In verse 2, it says, God, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Both of those are the exact same Greek word, and that Greek word is megas. Megas is used 29 times in Acts, and megas, that word, that Greek word, it means the same thing, deeply and great, that is used here, is used six times just in chapter 8. So in chapter 8, Luke that's writing this used this term in the Greek, which is megos, that means huge big things, and it's used in eight, eight times or six times in chapter 8. And if you know what's happening right here, Luke is writing, and he's using this big word to say what's happening. It's great. It's deep. It's huge. The things that are happening right now, what are taking place is megos. This is not small. In fact, someone just gave their life for this. Fun fact. Isn't that cute? Is that good, though? All right. Let's move on to verse 2. When you get to verse 2, the ESV reads some devout men. The NIV version um, reads godly men. But let's read verse 2. It says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply. Megos for him. Mourned deeply for him. Now, it's probably referring to the Jewish Christians that are mourning deeply uh, for the loss of Stephen. That, that just happened right there. So the Christian, the Jewish Christians are mourning deeply. Megos, at this point, is probably referring to the Jewish Christians. Then according to the Mishnah, the Mishnah was man-made laws that, that man-made, they made up to prove how godly they were and how righteous they were. So if they were following all the Mishnah and they were doing everything right, it was proving that they're godly and that they're righteous. Okay, so in the Mishnah, the Jews could, could, they could bury blasphemers, people that spoke against God. 
So these man-made law, are you with me? The man-made law of the Mishnah. In the Mishnah, it said that Jewish people could bury blasphemers. It's okay to bury them. They just could not do it with loud voices, with great, megas, loud lamentations. Why is this important as you begin to as you begin to look at the context of what we're talking about in these first three verses. So what happens? Stephen is killed. He's martyred. And these godly men, the Jewish leaders, go, they take him, and they bury him. But do they do it quietly? They do it with great voice. So in the Mishnah, you can bury people that are blasphemous, but you have to be quiet. And so I think the actions of these men that are burying Stephen says great, has great, says great things. Because in the Mishnah, you had to bury the blasphemers, the one that were against the God, quietly. And so when they're burying Stephen, I think it does two things, because they're burying him loudly. The first thing that they do, uh, that I think this really stands for when we're looking at it in the context, is to physically separate themselves from the ownership that, that it was wrong, that um, burying Stephen and killing Stephen was wrong. So by their actions, they were saying this, we don't agree with you leaders. Are we following? Okay, so w- by them burying loudly, they were saying, they were making a proclamation saying, we don't agree with you leaders. What you're doing is wrong. And the second thing that I think is in this, when Luke is writing to us, I think he's writing for us to pick up this concept right now. By the fact that these people buried Stephen in a great loud voice against the Mishnah, I think it's in place in Scripture to show us, the readers, what, that what took place was not officially sanctioned. It goes against their own laws. It goes against their own laws. So the action of them standing and burying Stephen very loudly in a great Megas voice is by them saying, what you're doing is wrong, and you're, bi- you're bending the own rules that you made up to do this, and this was the beginning of a separation between the rulers of the church and the people that we see coming up and the, and the rulers of the time that were the ones that were supposed to have all the power. We see actions going right now where we see a huge separation between church and state. Does that make sense? Here is the beginning of the church. Here is when, not only by word, but by deeds, we see great men and women throughout all time, starting with Stephen and starting with the action of the men that buried Stephen, that spit in the face of the people that made these laws. We see through all of time, from this point forward, the church coming alive. And it it comes alive, not by passivity, but it comes alive by action. That's a big deal. So if I lost you in all that, here's what I would say. Jesus didn't die so we would be passive. He died so that we would love him deeply and we would love others deeply. By action, by deed, by words. Church, let's fan the flame of what started so many years ago. From this time, over 2,000 years ago, But personally, let's break it down. Let's fan the flame of something that started so many years ago. And in my life, it started in third grade. So many years ago. I remember sitting in that Nazarene church, and the pastor scared the hell out of me. I mean, literally scared the hell out of me. It was like, I don't want to go to that hell place. What do I got to do? Like, that was the beginning of Christianity for Aaron Haven's life. And so, if you've ever experienced that, at least we got our fire protection, right? Wonderful. Wonderful. 
<laughs> I wouldn't suggest coming to God just because of fire protection. But it, it started so many years ago in Aaron Haven's life in third grade. And I've had to have moments in time, and I continually have to have moments in time where the, the, someone comes along and just fans the flame. So there's so much more to this. And I thank Jerry Ishida, my youth pastor, for teaching me it wasn't about fire insurance. It was about a relationship and loving life. Like, church, are you alive? Are you getting this? This is the beginning of the church. And God has been fanning our, our flames for a long time. Let's go to verse 3 here. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. I like how he says he, he, he went from house to house. Even, even the structure of church project, the way that we do things, and you can read back on that wall or on our website, like, and we talk about it often. We, we do it as, as close as we can see the, the early church doing it. And so at this time that we're reading about, the early church, church met in the synagogues by the hundreds, maybe thousands at times. And they, yet, they met throughout the week in house churches by the dozens and that's why we meet on Sundays, and that's why we have house churches, and we see the early church meeting needs everywhere that they went, and that's why we have ministry partnerships as well. But this, so you know the structure just isn't some brilliant mind thing that Aaron Havens made up along the way that says, let's do church project. Like, the structure is here, and we see it in Acts right now, why it's this way. And we see how it came about. So I like how Saul went from house to house, but he destroyed and the Greek, the Greek word, meaning of this word destroyed is to lay waste to, the tearing of a body by an animal. And so when you, when you understand that, that the meaning of this word, that what Saul was doing was he was tearing apart the body by an animal. Like think about what Saul was doing as he went from house to house. He was ravaging them. And this is a term that was used, this Greek word is a term that was used in the Old Testament for when a military defeated another, another military army, like ravaged him. And so Saul, he didn't go in and just knock door to door and go, you know, bad, you know, here's a spanking or whatever, you know, you, you get what I'm saying. Like he ravaged them. He tore them apart like an animal would tear apart a piece of meat. And this is what's happening right here. Tensions are high. Things are big. They're megas right now. They are large. Like things are huge that's going on in this time. And Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he drug both men and women off and put them in prison. Now let's pause because we do know a whole lot more about Saul who turned Paul. This great man that was ravaging the church, going house to house. I'm reminded of Acts later on, Acts 26, verse 10. This is Paul speaking later after, by the way, if you don't know, he becomes a great Christian. Yes, this very man we're reading about that's ravaging and killing Christians becomes a great Christian. And so I want to read Acts chapter uh, 26, verse 10. And, and this is Paul, and he says this, and, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem, Paul writing to us. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another synagogue to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blasphemy. So he tries to set them up. 
And I was obsessed with persecuting them that I even haunted them down into foreign cities. So Saul, the one we're reading about right now, says he was so obsessed that he would hunt hunt people down, Christians down. He would go to foreign cities and he would try to set them up to blasphemy so he could go, got you, and send them to prison and ravage them. This is Saul at this time. Why is this important? Because I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15, 9. And this is Paul again, the same Saul. And he says this. This is long after he gave his life to Christ and long after he became a servant of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says this. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. And I say thank you for persecuting the church of God, Saul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace to me was not without, though his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Saul turned Paul persecuted the church, ravaged them like animals, tore them apart like meat. And yet he comes to know that even those great disgusting deeds doesn't separate him from the love of God. And he comes to know that even though he writes half the Bible later on, that that doesn't even get him close to a relationship with God. It is by the grace of God that Saul is alive. And it's by the grace of God that He was used by God in such a tremendous and big and powerful way. The man that ravaged Christians writes half the Bible, and he gives his credit to this. I'm the least of all of you, and it's by God's grace I can stand here and speak in love today. Church, when you take that and you personalize that, that should bring you to tears. (laughs) Like, It's by God's grace. Nothing that we've done in life has earned us anything. In fact, I think many of us could say we are the least of these. My actions have separated me from from the love of God. Saul had every reason to say it, and he came to know and love and understand this grace. Church, do you know and understand this grace? Whatever Satan is telling you in your heart and in your mind right now, how you're not worthy, you don't add up, those actions are bad, whatever, whatever, blah, 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 is what I want to say. Because the grace of God comes in. And the grace of God says, lock eyes with me, child, I love you. Don't listen to the aliases that that Satan is whispering your way. Because I'm God Almighty. I I made you for a relationship with me. So don't you think your, your actions draw you closer to me or push you further away from me? I am madly in love with you. And church, I look at that and I go, amen. Thank you, Saul, for persecuting the church and ravaging and killing them and dragging them out from house to house. Because now I can understand and see a little more clearly what grace means. Because I see how much God used you later on in life as well. Which means... God can use little old Aaron. Amen? And I would say this, as we're looking at this scripture right here, 
Saul had to enter house by house. I get it. That's what was happening during this time. But I think Satan enters house by house in the lives of Greeley around us all the time. And maybe not even physically. I mean, we have this great technology. I mean, Jeremy's texting me right now. Was that you? Oh, that wasn't you. We have great technology. We have have wonderful things that are happening right now. But Saul has to enter the house. Today, Satan doesn't need to enter our houses physically, come and knock and drag us out. Like some of us, we invite him in continually with our technology, our entertainment, whatever it may be. It's like we sit there passive, Christians, and we say, yeah, come in and drag me out little by little by little. Slowly, we're pulled away from the church and his people and showing up on Sunday mornings is the best that we can do and we're lulled into this passive Christianity and we're not even standing guard of our own houses. And I don't mean our physical houses. I mean the houses of our heart, the houses of our mind. Like Saul went door to door and drug people out. Satan goes door to door today. He goes to our hearts, he goes to our minds, and he tries to drag us out every single day. Christian, are you putting on the armor of God? Are you entering into your relationship with God in a passive way or an aggressive way, knowing that Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy you? He wants to drag us out little by little. He wants to take our heart. He wants to take our mind. Because when he begins to do that, he begins to separate us from even God's people. And when he begins to separate us from God's people, who knows where we're going to end up. It's not going to be a good place. This was a movement that was happening. And can we say the same in our life? Like, we're part of a movement. When you say, I'm a Christian, do you say, I'm Christian just because of title? Or do you say, I'm a Christian because I'm part of a movement? Like, it's in me. It's something that's an unstoppable force. Though terrorists can fly planes into buildings, though whatever may happen, like, I'm part of a movement that, by the end, wins. Like, everything wins. I'm part of this movement. I'm just not a passive piece of this thing called Christianity. This was a movement, and it was megas, great the language that Luke used. It was a great movement. And do we live with this sense of urgency in our life, church? Do we live with this urgency? One of the coolest parts of me being away for four weeks, which thank you for letting me be away for four weeks, it was great, um, is that I didn't have to come to church. That was, that was great. I actually really liked that. So I'm a bit jealous of you when you just woke up on a Sunday morning and decided not to come, and the coffee, you just wanted coffee in your pajamas. I'm like, good for you. That's awesome. And I enjoy doing that. So if you wake up and you can't get here, okay, that's fine. We pray blessings for you when you're apart. In fact, one of my buddies texted me this morning, I'm not going to make it to church today. I was like, great, enjoy your coffee. Like, have a wonderful time. Because I was jealous (laughs) that I have to show up. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I loved being away for four weeks, and I loved being a part of that because I could or could not show up, right? And what I missed most, though, was you. I missed you. I missed your faces. I missed the relationships with you. I missed the coffees. I I missed that. And so even coming back, last week was a little rough for me, coming back, getting back into preaching again. But, But even today, 
Like I've had multiple meetings this last week, and it was wonderful, and I love being back in here because you are the church. I am the church. We are part of the movement. And when I'm around you, as much as I can be around you, the more you fan my flame. And the more we fan each other's flame. And the more we live with urgency and we don't slip into passivity. We're not so structured that we have to cross every T and dot every I. But this isn't a passive thing that we're part of. This is an aggressive, awesome thing that we get to be part of. And I'm so thankful to be part of it with you. I was excited to get back here and to to sweat and to bleed with you. And I hope you're excited to to have me back. I hope. (laughs) Thank you, Debbie. And I'm excited for the fall, for what I think God is going to be doing with our little church body, which, by the way, this room is going to be too full. Oh, well, deal with it. It's going to be great. Because this is not passive. This is awesome. We share our lives together, and without you, little by little, my heart and my life would be pulled away. I need you, and you need me. God, fan our flames. God, fan our flames. Brothers and sisters of Church Project, let's fan each other's flames. May we chase after God in everything. And I pray, God, would you please kill apathy in us? Would we know that we're part of a movement? And may we be part of a movement that's unstoppable. God, I pray your purposes and your passion would grow in us, your people. And may we speak that out in each other. The best drummer in Church Project is John Miguel. Where is he? I've seen him. Did you see him drumming and playing guitar today? That's crazy. How do you drum and play guitar at the same time? John, that's talented. Good job. But by far the best drummer in Church Project, maybe in all of Greeley or northern Colorado. Like, this, this dude's awesome. He leads us to to praise nearly every week. Some weeks you take off. Do you ever take off? You're always here, bro. And we need to talk about that. Some weeks you're off. But he he leads us most every week to praise and worship. Why? Because he fans the flame. Have you had coffee with John lately? Watch out, bro. I'm about to set you up for a lot of coffee meetings this week. And, you know, have you had steak? Have you had steak dinners with John lately, <laughs> dude? Huh? I had a wonderful lunch with him this week, and, and he talked and reminded me, and he talked about his rudiments. Did I say it right? Rudiments? It's a drum thing, like practicing, whatever, whatever, like rudiments. That's why he's a fantastic drummer. Is every single day or. Not every day, but you get the point. Like, he practices his rudiments on and on and on, and he doesn't let up. Like, he's fanning the flame of even the physical talent that God has given him, so when he shows up on Sunday mornings, his rudiments show up so much and so natural that he can not only do the rudiments and the drums and all that, but he can also layer a guitar on top of that. Like, this dude is not being passive. John, thank you for not being passive. And thank you, school teachers, for doing your rudiments. And thank you, bankers, for doing your rudiments. And thank you, everyone, stay-at-home moms. Hannah, she's playing keyboard with her little girl in her... Thank you. What am I getting at, church? 
each and every one of us passionately carry the Spirit of God wherever we go. Let's not be passive about it. For a drummer, let's practice our rudiments over and over and over until we're the best drummers in all of northern Colorado. Because as, as God sees that and as people see that, God is going to get glorified. Other people are going to be called to greater levels. It's going to fan the flames of everything in our life. As we watch Lauren be a good school teacher, as we watch, watch Jack. Jack, what do you do? You fly places all over the place. As we watch people come alive and we, we, we are being the church in Greeley, Colorado, everywhere that we go, the kingdom is on the end of our tongue, it's on the beginning of our hands, like we are the church. And I sit in amazement as, as John fans the flame with his rudiments and leads us in worship. This is a movement. I'll get up here and speak a lot of words. That's my rudiments. What's yours? Let's do this together. He's calling us to be part of a movement, something that is alive. I thank you, Stephen, for dying and being a martyr and practicing your rudiments and doing what God called you to do. And I thank you in this passage for the church coming alive as this gospel message came to Greeley, Colorado. And where's it going to go from here? It's time for me to be quiet. God, thank you for today. I pray that in this place you fan our flame. You take us back to third grade. You take us back to that moment we gave our life to you. And if there's anything that's been passive from that point to now, would you awaken that and make us in great fashion. May we not just casually stroll at this relationship, but may we stand on the highest mountain and proclaim your great love and your great grace that you covered over our life. May we cry and scream and jump up and down in recognition of who you are and what you've done in our life, regardless of our actions. And from that point of celebration, may we practice our rudiments. May we be diligent of being the kingdom everywhere that we go. And may your kingdom message be on the tip of our tongue continuously. May our lives represent you by words and deeds. So God, this morning, in light of who you are and what you've done, we worship you and continue to worship you in this place.